Right, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Job chapter 17. Job chapter 17. Um, last week we looked at, um, we finished off chapter 16, looking at the fact that uh, the lion, um, Satan devours, and the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ, delivers. And we saw how Satan had really devoured um, Job's life in, in, in the fact that his, his comfort was devoured, his confidence, his, his connection to the Lord was devoured, and his cheerfulness was devoured. And we looked at the fact, of the fact that Satan's tactics never, ever change. It's always the same. If he can affect our joyfulness, the joy of the Lord is our strength. If he can affect our relationship with the Lord, sometimes Christians kind of feel disconnected from the Lord. They feel like he doesn't hear them or he's not walking with them. And the problem's not with him, the problem's with us. But Satan affects us in that regard. And uh, he devours uh, our comfort. Um, he, he devours the fact that, you know, we like feeling safe. We like feeling secure. And, you know, I, and I've said to you before, I struggle not knowing the day or date that I got saved, and I get a bit jealous sometimes when people say, oh, it's my, it's my 15th spiritual birthday today, and I'm like, oh, I don't know the day that I got saved. And Satan devours my comfort in that regard when he whispers, oh, did you really do that? Did you really mean it? Did you, you don't know the time. Was it really that important here? Um, and we saw, um, we, we see Job going through stages. Um, and, and this is the thing that I want to talk about tonight. Uh, I want to look at, Job's hopelessness. But when we go through problems and when we go through trials and when we go through difficulties, we kind of go through peaks and troughs. Um, even when we're at our lowest, there are moments and glimpses of, actually, I don't feel too bad today. It's not that you feel like you've, you've got the victory and you've won. You, you almost feel like things are getting a little bit better. And it doesn't take long then and it doesn't take much for the, the rug to be pulled from underneath you and for you to be right back down again. And we kind of see that in, in Job's life. We see him kind of building in confidence as he, as he re, rebukes his friends for their, their lack of comfort and their lack of remorse and their lack of help. And we kind of see him grow. And then the next sentence, we see him absolutely destroyed. And it's, it's almost as if there's two different people. But that just gives us comfort to know that that's exactly what we are like. You know, when, when we go through those Times of difficulty, sometimes we feel like we've got it all under control and we, we've got this, we've conquered it, and it, it doesn't take much for the kind of the, the wave of anxiety to wash over us uh, just as quickly as the, the, the strength appeared, it seems to disappear. And we kind of see this in, verse seven, in, in chapter 17. So Job, we see all the devouring of Satan, by, uh, we see all the devouring of Satan towards Job in the first part of chapter 16. And then towards the end of chapter 16, we see Job kind of trusting in the Lord. And every time he looks to the Lord, he kind of builds in confidence. Just like Peter walking on the water. When he had his eyes fixed on the Lord, he was okay. As soon as he took his eyes off the Lord, he started to sink. And it's like when Job is resting in the Lord and trusting in the Lord and looking to the Lord, he's up here. But then it's as if he looks at his situation and his circumstance and the problems around him and perhaps he gazes his eyes back to his friends and he thinks, 
Ah, oh, they're still here. Oh, this is still here. This, this hasn't gone away. And, and you know, sometimes when we're in a problem that is never going to go away, we have those waves of peaks and troughs. Um, and I just want us to be reminded tonight that that's okay. Because we feel sometimes as Christians that we need to have it all together. Um, yeah, I went through a patch um, not so long ago and I, I was really struggling with, with anxiety. And it was just, there were times when, um, you know, I remember being sat at the desk where, when the office was over there and just absolutely falling apart. And just, there was this overwhelming fear and I was petrified and I couldn't breathe. And, and then you think, but I shouldn't be feeling like that. I should have all this together because I'm a Christian and, you know, and I should be stronger than this. And, you know, this is pathetic. And then you look at verses where it says, you know, be careful for nothing, be anxious for nothing. Uh, but, but with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then you, you kind of, you really struggle because you think I should have this together. But when we look at Job, we kind of get to a point where we're like, it's okay. To have peaks and troughs, that's normal. We would love to be up here all the time. And we would love to kind of say, Satan, you're not getting me today. I've got all my armour on and there's no way you're getting past me. But we're not always feeling victorious. But we just need to keep our eyes on the Lord. In, in, in chapter 17 and verse 1, it says, My breath is corrupt. My days are extinct. The graves are ready for me. And when you read the book of Job, you, you keep in mind, you know, because we often think, ah, oh, well, you know, Job's illness, whatever it was, he was covered in sores, and whatever his physical condition was, I think we need to recognise the fact that this wasn't a curable condition. And I think we need to recognise the fact that, that Job was never going to get better it was very unlikely that he was going to make a full recovery. So what he's doing here, he's not denying a future resurrection because he said, I know that my Redeemer lives and he knew that he would see the Lord in the, in the last days, as it were. Um, so he's not denying the resurrection. He's just saying the grave is close. You know, I know that my time is running out. He was confirming the fact that his life was swiftly coming to an end. His breath is offensive. Um, that could be because of the, the various diseases that he had, um, that his breath was just a, a stench, uh, his lifespan was coming to an end with the extinction of his children, his legacy and his lineage was coming to an end uh, and he said, the graves are waiting for me. And it's interesting here that uh, that word is, is plural, the graves are ready for me. Um, he'd lost everything his family, um, and he realised that because of what was happening to him physically, his life was coming to an end. Um, but in the midst of all of this, I, I think what we, what we fail to realise is what his friends were actually doing, his friends were pretty much preaching a prosperity gospel, and they are probably the first preachers and proponents of the prosperity gospel, because basically what they were saying was, if you repent, everything will be perfect. That, that's, that's kind of, to, to put it in a nutshell, that's basically what his friends were saying. If you repent, 
everything would be swimming. Well, we know that Job was a righteous man, that he eschewed evil, that he was upright, and he was going through this not because he was wicked, but because he was righteous. Um, but his friends are saying, you know, health and wealth. You, you repent and you, your health will be back and everything will be fine and uh, it'll be no problems. Um, and Job's contempt for that is cut in. He says in verse 2, Are they not mockers with me? And doth not mine eye continue in their provocation? You know, we can imagine Job kind of giving his friends a stinking look and saying in effect, I'm going through all of this and now I've got to sit down and listen to your nonsense. Um, they have provoked him uh, with clumsy words. Their advice has been inappropriate. Their, 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 their assessment of the situation has been inaccurate and they have done nothing to help him. So when Joe puts his friends in his place, he takes his eyes off his friends and looks to the Lord. Lay down now, put me in surety with thee. Who is he that will strike hands with me? For thou hast hid their heart from understanding. Therefore shalt thou not exalt them. Um, here where the language of surety and the striking of hands kind of puts us uh, with, the, with the language of the court, as it were. It's like Job wants to go uh, to a, a court of law, as it were. The surety, um, you may recognize the word, it was first used um, when Judah promised his father that Judah would take care of Benjamin. That when um, Joseph wanted Benjamin to come down to Egypt and Jacob didn't want that to happen, he'd already lost one son. And, and Judah says to him, I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him, if I bring him not unto thee, and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame for ever. Um, the word also appears in conjunction with the practice of striking hands, the accepted cultural sign of a binding agreement. You know, we do that today, and let's shake hands on it. Uh, if you're going to make a deal, I mean, uh, you know, you, you, you have that um, binding verbal agreement. Um, or a gentleman's agreement when you actually shake hands you know that's you kind of that's you you're gonna stick to your word as it were and uh, again this is a cultural sign of a binding agreement my son if thou be surety for thy friend if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger proverbs 6 when the writer of proverb urges his readers to avoid hastily taking on a legal obligation on behalf of a stranger. So having demonstrated that Job looks alone uh, to God for support, um, he pauses for a moment, seeking to account for his friend's failure. And he says in verse 6, he hath made me also a byword. Uh, sorry, verse 5. He, verse 4, I'm so sorry. For thou hast hid their heart from understanding, therefore shalt thou not exalt them. He that speaketh flattery to his friends, even the eyes of his children shall fail. It is God who stands behind Job's afflictions. And if God, who has blinded the would-be comforters so they are unable to comprehend the problems or to even offer advice or to offer aid or to offer help, um, and, and it's incredible, you know, the clarity of Job's understanding of God, even without access to written revelation. And Job has an incredible clarity when it comes to who God was is he in distress yeah he is and God has, has brought it about is he disowned and misunderstood by those who he looked to for encouragement yeah he is but God has hidden those truths 
from his three friends' minds. And we, we see that. We see Job vindicated in the end. We see God, you know, rebuking the three friends. And we're going to see, um, in the end, God saying to Job, it's your responsibility to kind of help these boys out because they were so far off. Because of God's divine action, his friends are unable to sympathise with him. Um, so only God is going to be able to vindicate Job um, before his friends. Um, in verse 6 it says, He hath made me also a byword of the people, and aforetime I was a tabret. Um, Job was once a man who was synonymous with prosperity. He was a man that was synonymous with righteousness. Um, he was a man that was synonymous with, with, with being a model example of what a person should be like. But now he's become a byword. The word byword there in the Hebrew literally means satire. Um, it, it's a word for he's become a byword or he's become a proverb or he's, he's become satire for disgrace. Um, this is the only place the word appears. Um, but other terms in the scripture kind of help us to have an understanding of, of what Job is getting at here. On the borders of the land, Moses tells Israel that future disobedience leading to captivity would cause it to become an astonishment, a proverb and a byword among all nations, whether the Lord shall lead thee. Deuteronomy 28, 37. Um, what people have called the wandering Jew brought low into servitude, desolation and shame would become the world's uh, whipping boy. The same kind of language is used by David. I made sackcloth, also my garment, and I became a proverb to them. They that sit in the gate speak against me, and I was the song of the drunkard, Psalm 69. So Job would become a byword, he'd become satire. Um, people looked at him and mocked him because of the state uh, that he was in. Uh, but the word tabret is an interesting one. He hath also made me a byword of the people, and aforetime I was a tabret. Um, now, the word tabret um, can also mean a, similar um, to what a tambourine is today. Uh, but the word tabret is interesting because it comes from the root word to strike. Um, but it, this particular word can be translated as to spit upon. Job had become the object of utmost contempt. One whom passers-by spat upon him because of the, the mess that he was in. Now then, there is only one other person in the... And, and we know that to spit upon somebody, um, you know, that is a, a, a sign of um, disrespect. It's probably one of the most humiliating things um, that can happen to you. I know uh, we've seen in, even in sporting events um, when people have spat upon somebody, um, it's, it's not gone down very well because it's a, you know, it's a lack of sportsmanship. It's degrading. It's, it's uh, kind of the, the, the lowest kind of act that you can probably do. So Job is saying, I've become a byword. People walk past me and they literally look at me with such disgust that they spit upon me. There's only one other person in the whole of Scripture where we are told that they spat upon him. Who is that? Jesus. Isaiah 50 and verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters, my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Matthew 26, 67, they did spit in his face and buffeted him 
and others smote them with the palm of their hands. And here's the thing. Although in life, Job never learned the reasons for his trials. Can you imagine how Job felt when he got to heaven and God himself said, Job, you gave a little picture of what would happen to my son. He would become so despised by people that they would literally spit upon him because they regarded him as the lowest of the low. You know, we go through things in life and, uh, and we've often said this, you know, we might never know the reasons why we've, we've gone through this. But one day when we get to glory, maybe in God's grace, he might let us into the, the secret, as it were, as to why we went through this. Did you go through that, you know, difficulty uh, with losing a loved one? Because you were going to be a testimony to somebody else who went through that. You know, the, the way in which you dealt with uh, the illness that you were diagnosed with was, spoke so much to somebody else that you helped this person and this person and this person. We never know. The reasons why we go through the trials we go through, but the Lord does. And when one day, maybe, in all of his wisdom and his mercy and his grace, he might, in the glories of heaven, and I, listen, I guess everything, all of that will pale in insignificance. We won't even care when we get the glory. It, it'll be like, well, it doesn't matter. I'm in the presence of the Lord. But maybe when we know like Christ, We'll have a knowledge then. It's like the father taking us to one side and saying, okay, child, this is why this happened to you. I want you to see the big picture now. And I want you to see, because of this event, this person was blessed and this person was saved and this person was helped and this person was encouraged and this person renewed their walk with the Lord. And, and maybe one day we'll, we'll realise then why we went through what we went through. Job says in verse 7, mine eyes... Also is dim by reason of sorrow and all my members are as a shadow. In words like sorrow and shadow, we, we detect Job's weariness. He is like absolutely at his wit's end. Uh, as a consequence of this physical and emotional humiliation. Don't forget now this is an upright man. This is a man who was, you know, well respected. He had um, cattle and servants and um, all of a sudden, he's, he's on the, the dung heap. He's, on the, you know, the, he's, he's among the beggars and the outcasts and the, the lepers and, and whatever else, the dregs of society. He's, he's, he's with them. So it's as if his eye has lost that sparkle. You know, um, it's really interesting. Um, jo always tries to hide when she's not feeling right. Um, you know, she's struggling with her back and um, she'll put on a brave face and, you know, she'll... Come to you can always tell in her eyes, uh, and it's just you can't you can't hide it. It's just like yeah, you're not doing good today, yeah. Uh, and you could see that in Job. Job's sparkle was literally gone, um, because of the physical and emotional humiliation that he'd suffered. Um, in verse eight, he says, "Upright men should be astonished at this, and the innocent shall stir up himself against the hypocrite." The righteous also shall hold on his way, and he that hath clean hands shall be stronger and stronger. Um, that's, that's, this is actually a really interesting portion of Scripture. So I think Job's words here are in part an answer to Eliphaz's accusation from way back in chapter 15 and verse 4. Um, 
Eliphaz said, Yea, thou cast us off fear and restrain us prayer before God. Um, Eliphaz is saying, your kind of argumentation, Job, your refusal to acknowledge your terrible sins, it's only going to encourage ungodliness and irreverence in other people. And Job here says, do you know what? Actually, even though I don't understand why I'm going through what I'm going through, I think this is going to help people in the future. I think it's going to actually fortify the saints of God. And he imagines godly people. And maybe he's thinking way ahead of how his story will affect future generations. You know, viewing his affliction. Um, You know, we we recognise that he's distinguishing himself from his three friends. They're becoming so indignant at the way the wicked prosper while Job has to suffer. Um, They refuse to abandon their own godly lifestyle. Uh, But what Job is saying here is, look, because of my difficulties and my problems, I think people will learn from this. And as a result, they'll grow stronger in their spiritual convictions. And again, we might be going through something, not for us, but for somebody else. Um, You know, we, we often think, right, Lord, what are you teaching me in this situation? He might not be teaching us anything because he might just be using that to speak to somebody else, to help somebody else, to bless somebody else, to challenge somebody else, to convict somebody else. You know, just as tribulation draws the genuine believer closer to the Lord, so does uh, the uh, tribulation cause the unbeliever to harden their heart as it were so news about suffering saints in other countries doesn't stumble god's people instead it, it stimulates us you know when we hear about somebody struggling when we hear about somebody falling when we hear about somebody in difficulty it kind of strengthens us a bit because we recognize that we're not the only ones going through those difficulties we're not the only ones going through those problems and um, Paul gloried in the faithful countenance of the, the believers in Thessalonica when he said, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. And the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Beyond all expectation, Job has risen above his present circumstances and is looking ahead to a day when his story can be retold and can bless other people. And as we read about Job's endurance, and it is, it's, it's so human in its ups and downs, when we read about Job's unimaginable pain, then it gives us strength to persevere because we recognise that we can do this. Not because of our strength, but because of the Lord's strength. He says then in, in verse 10, uh, But as for you, all, do ye return and come now? For I cannot find one wise man among you. From his glance ahead, Job then returns to the bemused trio sitting beside him. Um, you can imagine their faces. You know, they've been saying to Job, You've sinned, you need to put things right. If you put things right, everything's going to get better. And then Job turns around and says, do you know what? One day people are going to read about this and they're going to be helped. You can imagine, if, you know, it doesn't make sense to their friends. 
You know, and that's why when people say, well, as long as you're a good person, you don't do harm to anybody, and, you know, then that'll get you through life. That's why the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness, because it doesn't make sense. You know, that didn't make sense to you. You can almost see the bemused look upon their faces as Job is saying, one day my story's going to help people. But as for you, Lord, I can't find one wise man among you. Um, I've given up expecting anything intelligent to be uttered by either one of you. Job knows that his time on earth is limited. And he sums that up. He sums up that condition in this threefold statement. He says in verse 11, my days are past. My purposes are broken off. Even the thoughts of my heart. His life is virtually gone. Um, His purpose. um, The word normally refers to um, um, wicked or mischievous plans. Um, so you kind of wonder whether Job is bickly employing this kind of language um, that he says, this, all of this has happened to me, this wickedness has happened to me, is soon going to be over. My days are past, my purposes are broken, even the thoughts of my heart, they all count for nothing. And despite this, his friends glibly assured him that there's blue skies around the corner if he will only kind of take their medicine Job, if you listen to our words, everything's going to be okay. They change the night into day. The light is short because of darkness. And most commentators agree that they refers to the friends who in the midst of his darkness and mind uh, and sorrow of spirit cheerfully promise that everything will be all right. Um, You know, and sometimes when you kind of don't feel well and you think as long as I can go to sleep, It'll all be okay in the morning. And do you know what? Sometimes it is. And sometimes it's not. What Job's friends are basically saying is, Job, it'll all be okay in the morning. If you just kind of repent and admit your sin, it'll all be okay. And Job's friends had no grounds for making any promises. And and that's the problem. You know, oftentimes we can say the stupidest things to people... Because we want to make them feel okay. You know, we, we did it. We always used to do it with our kids. You know, oh, i got a stomachache. Oh, you're all right. You've got no idea they're right. You haven't got a medical degree. You've got no idea that they're okay. You know, when they're writhing in pain in the night, and oh, oh you'll be okay. You know, I, I can say this now because she can't be struck off because she retired years ago. But um, there was a time when my dad was really not feeling very well. And my mother's like, oh, for goodness sake, there's nothing wrong with you. So she dragged him to Carrefour and Caffili to go shopping. So he finally gets home. He's like, oh, John, I don't feel well. I don't feel well. Well, if you don't feel well, call the doctor. This is the days when the doctor used to come to the house. The doctor comes to the house, checks him out and says, yeah, you've got double pneumonia. (laughs) You know, oftentimes we say, oh, it'll be all right. Get on with it. And we want to say that to people who are going through difficulties. But we have no idea if it'll be all right. We know the Lord will be there with them. We know the Lord can get us through these trials. But as much as we want to say it'll be okay, we don't know. 
And, and we can say the stupidest things in a time of people's deepest hurts and deepest pain and deepest anguish because we want to have those words to help. But sometimes we just end up making things worse. You know, when people are unwell, we kind of want to say that, ah, oh, it'll be okay. You know, I remember somebody saying that to Joe one time that it's not God's will for you to be unwell. Isn't it? We can't do away with sickness. You know, it, it's a point that a man wants to die. If, if it wasn't God's will for us to be unwell, none of us would ever die. Mm. Um, you know, part of the reason we, we become unwell and we get sick and we, we die is because of sin. And the only way we're going to be free from sin is when we finally get to be with the Lord. Um, and I think Mary and Martha kind of hit the nail on the, head, on the head when it comes to illness. Because this is what they said. Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Although they were looking for the Saviour's speedy response, they did not presume to tell him what to do, but they informed him of the situation. And I think sometimes all we need to do is not tell the Lord how we should intervene in this situation. It's just basically say, Lord, he knows what's going on anyway, but just for us to come before him and pour out our heart and say, Lord, so-and-so struggling. Lord, I am struggling. You know, we rejoice because we have a more sure word of prophecy where until we do well to take heed as unto a light that shineth in the dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. That's the encouragement that we have. Uh, we are a child of God and we recognise that. But the arrival of the bright morning star is getting closer and closer and closer. And that gives us comfort even in the difficulties that we face. Job's final words, he started the chapter about the grave. He ends the chapter about the grave. He starts this section about the grave. If I wait, verse 13, the grave is my house. I have made my bed in the darkness. I have said the corruption, thou art my father to the worm. Thou art my mother and my sister. And where is now my hope? As for my hope, who shall see it? They shall go down to the bars of the pit when our rest together is in the dust. What asks Job really lies ahead of me? Just the grave. It's the grave that lies ahead. That's my home. Darkness will be my environment. Um, in contrast to the daylight promised by his friends, the grave or corruption and the worm will become my immediate and intimate family. And Job has no issues in being practical about the horrors of what's going to happen to the body afterwards. Anybody who considers that the Bible shies away from the painful realities of life would do well to ponder Job's frank language. He said, look, I'm going to die. And my body's going to go to the ground and it's going to get eaten by worms and it's going to return to the dust. And that's not the first time he's mentioned the worm uh, and it's always in, co in connection with putrefaction. My flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome, Job 7, 5. In, in chapter 21 and verse 26, he says, They shall lie down alike in the dust, and the worm shall cover them. In chapter 24 and verse 20, The womb shall forget him, the worm 
shall feed sweetly on him. He shall be no more remembered and wickedness shall be broken as a tree. But if, as he firmly believes he is heading towards death, if he believes that he's heading towards darkness, if he believes that he's heading towards the corruption of the earth that his body will return to, where is his hope? If death is imminent, then what hope does he have? You know, we can't escape death, so what is our hope? It looks as though his hope is going to descend with him into the dust of the grave. We observe Job's mood and you see it being quite volatile. You can see its ups and downs. You can see Job kind of being on the mountaintop and saying, right, my trust is in the Lord. And, you know, kind of he's going to get me through this. People are going to look at this and they're going to be blessed by my story. And then he's like, I'm done. I'm just going to the grave and my body's going to be corruption. My body's going to end up in corruption. I'm just going to go back to the dust. For Job, the final word of the chapter, when our rest together is in the dust, it sums up the grim reality. And it's a common word again. There's quite a few common words uh, in the book. You know, grave is mentioned quite a few times. We've already looked at the fact that worm is mentioned quite a few times. Um, and there's a few times, I think it's, it's over 20 times the word dust appears in the scripture. And we recognise that that's a reminder of where man originally came from, Genesis 2-7. But we also recognise that that's eventually man's return from the dust we were made and to the dust we will return. And Job knew that. He'd said that right at the very beginning of his trials. But at the centre of scripture stands a truth which kind of lifts our heart as a reminder of God's tender understanding and fatherly concern for our natural frailty. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that feed him, for he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. I know Brother Andrew quotes that um, verse quite often. And according to the, you know, uh, I, let me tell you, so dust is probably the, the woman's greatest enemy when it comes to the housework. Uh, and according to the Oxford uh, Dictionary, dust is fine, dry powder consisting of tiny particles of earth or waste matter lying on the ground or on surfaces or carried in the air. But we are made out of dust. Um, dust is the flimsiest of beings. Um, our body is ruined by sin, and our final destination in terms of this body is the grave. Yet the God who made us knows all about our weakness, Knows all about our aches, knows all about our pains, knows all about our frailty, knows all about our difficulties, knows all about our troubles, knows all about us. And he cares for us as a father, father who pitieth his children. He knows that we are nothing except for dust. It's incredible that even though Job did not have the benefit of some of the prophecies of the Psalms or the book of Daniel, he had a grasp of God 
If pain does nothing else, it simply makes us think. And Job certainly thought deeply about what he knew. He knew that God was absolutely sovereign in all the affairs of the universe. Uh, Therefore, God brought about his problems as he also blinded his would-be or so-called comforters. He knew that God had such concern for righteousness that he would in due time stand up for Job's defence. He knew that God was ever approachable in prayer as sure Uh, as the sure recourse for his people in distress. And in the middle of all of this pain, these are real comforts and supports to know that God is never going to leave us and forsake us, that God is always there for us, that even though we are frail, just like the dust, even though we are frail, God cares immensely about what happens to us, about what we go through, about the difficulties that we face. You know, we have the benefit of looking back to Calvary and the promises that God made to us that he would always be with us, even to the end of the world. Job didn't have that benefit. He didn't have Moses' writings. Mm. He didn't have David's writings. He had none of the epistles to help him recognise the fact that one day the Lord Jesus Christ would return. But he knew in his heart that his Redeemer lived. And he knew that one day he would see his God face to face. And that no matter what he went through, God ultimately would always do what was right. Regardless of the advice or the so-called comfort from the people who thought that they knew better. I'm thankful that my confidence and my trust is in the Lord, and it's not in man. Father, we thank you again for this time together tonight and for this opportunity to come around your word. Thank you, Lord, for, for Job's testimony. We look at the, the trials that he goes through, Lord, and sometimes we feel like we stub our toe and we feel like, We feel like Job. We feel like everything's falling apart and nothing's going for us. And when we look at what he went through, we recognise the fact that if he could go through that, then whatever life throws at us, whatever the devil tries to do to devour us, our hope and our trust and our confidence is only ever in you. And because of that, we can do all things and we can get through all things and we can endure all things and we can face all things not because of who we are but because of who you are so lord as we see the peaks and troughs of uh, of joe's victorious speeches and then we see his his lamentation as he cries out in despair we recognize the fact that he was human just like we are and there are times we feel like screaming and shouting because nothing's going right. And then there are times that we, we feel like nothing can affect our walk with you. So Lord, would you just help us as we look at Job's life, help us to draw closer to you. That when we go through those pains and difficulties that we would cling tighter to you, that we would draw closer to you and that we would rely on your strength and not our strength. Father, we just pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 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 All right. Uh, Thank you for...